0: I'm Tom Morello. My guest today is Serge Tankin, longtime comrade in arms and singer of System of a Down. The people who have changed the world in progressive, radical, or even revolutionary ways did not have any more money, power, courage, intelligence, or creativity than anyone listening right now. The world is changed by average, everyday, ordinary people who have had enough, are willing to stand up for a country and a planet that is more humane, just, and decent. What can you do? Dream big and don't settle. For me, on the best of days, all I really do is play some cool guitar and amplify the voices of grassroots, rank and file fighters for social justice who work and toil and sacrifice with no hope of one day having a podcast on Sirius XM. It is their courage, and perhaps yours, that will help forge a more humane, just, and peaceful planet. The responsibility we have as artists is to tell the truth as we see it. If you do have a point of view and censor yourself, Whatever your vocation, out of fear or passivity, you've done yourself and your times a grave disservice. At this historical juncture, it's all hands on deck. It's time to change the world, or at a bare minimum, to stir up a shitload of trouble. My guest today is Serge Tankian, known for changing the world, rocking out, and stirring up a shitload of trouble. Serge, how are you today?
1: I'm good, brother. How are you?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. Thanks very much for being on the show here. Uh, Serge and I have been acquainted for quite some time. And I don't know that I've ever shared this story, but the first time that I ever heard of System of a Down was Rick Rubin, who had spent you know some time with the band, asked me to come see you guys play at the Viper Room, a club in Hollywood that holds about 60 people max. And you roared the place to the ground. And it reminded me in some ways of like the first time I heard Metallica. My ears were not ready to understand what was happening. You know, it was a combination of brilliant new vectors making a new kind of rock and roll that I didn't have sort of a grid to even hang it on. And Rick was like, so what do you think about those guys? And would you think of, like, producing them? Like, I don't think I could make that better. It's so feral and so... What it is on its own, like I, I'm quite positive I could make it worse,
1: but by, by, by <laughs> losing some of those
0: edges. But anyway, so it's a, been a real pleasure making. I did you, not know you, that
1: story. You've yeah, never told yeah. me that all yeah, these years. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, Rick so and I were, were on the phone, at-
0: and he was just looking for somebody to produce the record cheaply.
1: <laughs> yeah, was that the first time? Rick had seen us, or he had seen us? I believe that was the first time Rick saw you, was at that Viper Room show. So you came with him that first time to the Rival? That's that's amazing. So we talk about this, uh, because obviously Rick and yourself are in the documentary Truth to Power that uh, we just put out. And, you know, he talks about the first time that he saw us at the Viper Room show and how, more than anything, he was just... Laughing because yes, he just yes, couldn't yes, he yes. was so over the top that he just couldn't believe it. Wow, you were there, dude. I was there. I, I, I was absolutely
0: that. there. I was absolutely there. And it did you know, looking back both on that show and now that the world's ear has attuned to that unique combination of metal and the way that you and your band have sort of synthesized elements of your heritage into the genre of hard rock music. You know, there's no one else in that lane. You know what I'm saying? Like like it's by being absolutely true to yourselves of who you are both as people who like metal music and who heard Armenian folk songs as children I'm I'm guessing (laughs) by synthesizing those you made a kind of music that no one else could have possibly made so let me ask this so you have a movie out called truth to power first of all tell us what the movie is
1: the movie is basically an activist journey. Uh, In 2011, I had gone out and strapped a camera to my head, spy glasses, and shot everything that I did professionally, because it was going to be a very interesting, diverse, professional year, playing with orchestras, coming back and playing with System of Down for the first time since our hiatus, my backup band, the FCC, like just a, a plethora of creative, musical, and political events all throughout the year. So I thought I'd tape it all. I just didn't know how to process it. In, in other words, it was a very point of POV kind of movie. It was just a lot of amazing footage, but without a proper storyline going yeah. through it. And then I met a, a good friend of mine, a director, Gar- Garin Hovannisyan. We were talking about this, and he's like, what's the real story you want to tell? And I'm like, I'm not really interested in a biography. I'm not interested in the, as much the musical rock star aspect. I'm interested in the activist in this whole story and so we presented the musical thing the launch of it but really it's really seeing this activist who had a small voice because it wasn't projected through a, a huge band. It was mm-hmm. just an activist. And then slowly through the success of the band, that voice becomes huge yes. in terms yes. of its reach. And you see the repercussions of that as well that you and I have both dealt with yes. for many yes. years, as well as some of the success stories that you see. From
0: mm-hmm. it. So how we first became acquainted as friends, Where now you've told me that you were at some crazy party at my house on a New Year's Eve, and that's when we first actually met. Now, neither myself nor Confirmed my attorneys... North Confirm or deny that. <laughs> but anyway, so Axis of Justice was an organization that you and I formed, and the genesis of the idea for it was an Ozfest show. Audio Slave and System of a Down, I believe, we're going to share a stage at some Ozfest. But anyway, I went to go see Ozfest at San Bernardino, and I was walking through the audience. I was appalled by the number of like white power tattoos I saw on fans. and metal had changed by this point, I think it was probably 2000, 2001, where every band on the main stage had at least one non-white member, and yet there was this kind of acceptance in the audience of the racist points of view. I thought there needs to be a voice that is an anti-racist voice, that is a social justice voice, a voice letting fans of music, hard rock and metal music know that we're here too, (laughs) you know, and so that was, I called up Surge, and We started talking about forming an organization called Axis of Justice, and the first act that we took as an organization was there was this draconian measure where the city of Santa Monica had disallowed individuals or businesses from feeding homeless people as a way to sort of like drive them out. And so anyway, so the first thing that Acts of Justice did, and the first time that Serge and I really spent some time together, was we went on the radio, we said we'd like our fans to come down, bring all the food you can carry, and we're going to give food to every homeless person in Santa Monica, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. And so what are your memories of that first day of sticking with It was with great. The there was
1: press there, and, and we really, I think, made an impact. And people, you know, started kind of paying attention to that particular cause, you know? And, and it was ridiculous, you know? And so we stood up against it, and that was the first time you and I definitely physically converged and actually had conversations about yep. it. The, the time I remember that you called me about the idea of access of Justice, I remember it vividly, because you guys were gonna play OzFest as Citizen Kane before you even had Audio Slave as a name. It was just, it was, it was, it was just
0: called Civilian, yes,
1: Civilian. Oh, yeah. Civilian, oh, okay, civilian. Oh, okay. Civilian. I thought it was civilian. Citizen yeah. Kane. Or something. Civilian. Okay, yeah. Civilian. Absolutely. But yeah, you said, look, we, we were gonna do OzFest, I don't think we're we're going to be able to do it but i had this idea of, of having this organization so that kids not only have merch booths to go to but there's somewhere where they can go get information about justice different causes different organizations that might be beneficial etc and i'm like that's fantastic let's talk to sharon and, and you know and we did and we started yep. Access of Justice and all these incredible concerts, these huge festivals. We had our booths there and invited different organizations, Amnesty right. International, right. Greenpeace, like so many different organizations that we work with.
0: Yeah, you know, and the idea was to basically answer the question that our fans had, I mean, people have been asking me since, you know, the first Rage Against the Machine show, and perhaps you as well, is how do I get involved? And I was like, I grew up in a town where there was no access to changing the world. You know, now with the internet, it's different, but we, Access of Justice was like a watering hole. And we had a website and we had a radio show on KPFK for years. Whereas if you were a fan and you were interested in a particular issue, it might be environmental justice, you were two clicks away from finding the organization in your area that was fighting for that cause. And really like sort of plugging individual people in to larger grassroots movements to try to like move the meter. And I was very proud of the work that we did together. And a lot of great music along the way. I mean, the the whole idea was the synergy between – It wasn't a bunch of like dry college lectures. It was some great rock and roll shows, including the Justice Tour shows and the shows at the Hotel Cafe, which kind of were legendary. What are your memories of that event?
1: I remember one of the first Justice shows that we had, Access of Justice show, it was at the... The one that we released as a CD DVD. You remember? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah.
0: I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Palace. It used to be called The, the palace. palace. That's yeah, right. Yeah, the
1: right yeah. across Capitol Records. That yeah, was an yeah, incredible yeah. show. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. many amazing artists. Chris Cornell and Maynard yeah. was yeah. there. and like yeah. Just Flea was there. Yeah, Flea yeah, was yeah, always yeah, there, yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we did one of our shows at the Troubadour and someone was supposed to play bass on stage and we're all downstairs, literally, with our instruments and the bass player either didn't show up or something happened. Got... I ran up the stairs, that little room in the, yes. you know, upstairs at the troubadour and i'm like flea we need you we need he was literally he had spaghetti in his mouth coming out of his mouth he was eating poor guy was eating he literally just goes and grabbed his bass and ran down i'll never forget that that was nailed it i
0: totally remember that i think i'm not sure what it was but i remember at least one of the songs we played that night was get up stand up by bob marley and i just said it's get up stand up we're not playing the intro and he's like why are we not playing Andrew? It's like, because you're the only one that knows it. All right. We, <laughs> you just joined the band and you know we don't know don't it. We're know it. just we're just trying to get by here, man. <laughs> so the idea for these Access of Justice shows, and then what sort of morphed into the Justice Tour, which traveled across the country, was it was always ten dollars at the door, the people's price to get in. We gave away one hundred percent of the proceeds to local charity or activist organizations in whatever city it was. And it was really an idea to get sort of back to Like, remember why you started, like, as a musician and as an activist. Remember why you started. And it's just for the joy of the playing music, connecting with other musicians, connecting with an audience. At the end of the day, like, those are some of my most memories. I remember the Hotel Cafe, which holds about 150 people. And, you know, sometimes there'd be a line of about 1,000 people outside wrapped around the corner with people, like, listening to the walls. Because, you know, one night it might be Cypress Hill. It might be some local homeless kid who I saw busking who I asked to play it might be Motley Crue you know <laughs> Perry Farrell was always there and so what we would do is in between the acts on stage we'd ask the musicians to just go out into the alley and play for the people who were not going to get in so there was like a second show kind of right outside the front door and it really felt like the spirit of you know why we started doing it to be with um so I have a question for you so compare and contrast for me because this we both have been in bands and we both have vibrant musical, political activities outside of our bands as solo artists and as as activists. For me, the way I've looked at it is like a band provides chemistry and it creates something that none of the individuals could alone and that unique combination of three, four, five, however many people, it's a fingerprint. It's a snowflake. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like that particular thing. And when it's great, it's because of that chemistry. With a solo artist, what you get is a purity of vision. You get something that is uncut by band meetings or differing opinions and you get a very pure, it's of vision you know we've had the good fortune sort of be on both sides of that line let's get your thoughts about you know sort of the strengths and weaknesses pros and cons of being a solo artist versus playing in a band setting
1: absolutely i agree i think being in a band like your band or my band it's so unique it's such if any part of that formula changes if any one person leaves it will never be the same again that's right and so The reason that there's been success is the potency of that combination. It's that push and pull. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not one thing. It's like that push and pull that creates this special magic, I think. And as a solo artist, look, yeah, you have a vision for a song, it's way easier to enact it if you have a full understanding and vision of the music that you want to finish. But if you just have ideas and you need collaborators, then a band situation obviously is much more conducive to that. But yeah, you're right, it's like, one is straight true vision without any wranglings, the other is like this monster that could do anything, but has done incredible things, and is like irreplaceable in every way.
0: And And the thing that you know, throughout your career, it's—I sort of saw myself as like being in one band for forever. And then when that was not the case, it opened up a lot of like I've made twenty albums now. You know, I've made Amazing, four Rage Against Bro. the Machine albums, but I've made twenty albums now. You know, from I'm Audio Lady, to Street Sweeper, to Night Watchman, to some Springsteen records and whatnot. And is it afforded this kind of this unexpected and rich mosaic? Of experiences that I never would have had otherwise. You know, like I've jammed with Wu Tang Clan and I've jammed with Pete Seeger. You know what I mean? I've jammed <laughs> with Slayer, you know, and I've and I've jammed with the prodigy. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Tom Morello's maximum firepower. We are hanging out with Serge Tank in here, talking about everything, everything. under his <laughs> son, Talking about everything on his son. All right. So one of the things that we run into as musician activists is the old shut up and play guitar. Now, I know you get it, and I know I get it. Now, here's the one thing that if you're Noam Chomsky delivering a college lecture, or if you're someone who, you know, like in my and my folk guys as the Night Watchman, if you're coming to a Night Watchman show, I'm gonna sing some folk songs about topical issues and point fingers at people. So you know what you're getting into. But when it's you're in a, a rock and roll band that casts the nets a lot wider as far as the spectrum of fans who are drawn to it, shut up and play the guitar or shut up and sing, shut up and entertain me. Do your little dance monkey and stop talking about stuff that upsets me is something that you'll often see in the comment section. Your thoughts on that.
1: Look, I get it all the time and I get it from every side when someone disagrees with me. And, and to me, it's like it really makes me think, who are we? Like, are we defined by what we do? You know, if so, if I was a, a roofer, or, you know, if I had a political statement, you, would you just say, go do your fucking roofing and don't talk to me about politics? Like, that is so horrible, you know? Like, yeah. what what does that have to do with, you know, we're beings that are diverse beings. We have interests. We have intellect. And so I find it, it's offensive, but I'm used to it at this point, so yeah. I, I don't really yeah. get offended. Yeah. I just, yeah, whatever, you know, kind of thing. But, uh it is a go-to. It's it's a very, very uh, common go-to. I, th-
0: I, think it, I think it represents a cognitive dissonance in parts of the audience where, like the people who are telling you and me to shut up and play guitar and shut up and sing don't mind a game show host as president. You know what I mean? Like they right. don't mind at all because they, because they <laughs> may agree with that. Or you know, and, but it's it really speaks to the fact that, that there's this cognitive dissonance and I love the music and I love the mosh pit and I'm uncomfortable with the ideas that, yeah. that it contains. And so my thought was like, if you're able to make music, or any sort of art that everyone can agree upon and that everyone can hold hands and kumbaya how much they love it, you're probably making some pretty shitty art.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's the the way I look at it. I I mean, I I get... get, My favorite comments are when someone... You know, I mean, there's people that agree with you. There's people that disagree with you But my favorite is when someone goes, you know, I really like your music and I really like your passion and I appreciate it But I don't agree on these points. I'm like, I love this person. Yeah, because yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah, actually yeah, thinking yeah. and they're actually yeah. Engaged yeah. like this is awesome. Yeah, don't agree yeah. with me. It's okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like but just to go fuck you Go play your music and don't yeah. say anything yeah. else. Yeah. That's like, yeah. you know,
0: I think it's perfectly okay and preferable to make an audience choose sides I mean, that's yeah, what yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I think effective art does. You know, it's like your music can be so compelling that it draws people of various backgrounds and various ideas because they love the aggression, because they love whatever, Ellen, they, the guitar solos or the timbre of your voice. They're drawn to it and want to get down with it. And yet they're confronted with ideas that are uncomfortable. And I think right. that that's fine. That's what art's supposed to do. Exactly. All right. So one of the things that is very impressive to me about your work is like, one foot of both System of a Down and your own work is firmly planted in your Armenian heritage. The connection that your band has with the global Armenian community. But there was a show that you played, I believe it was on the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide in Armenia. Tell me a little bit about the feeling, because I saw the video of that, and it really transcended the idea of a rock and roll show. And it was something that was deeply, like, sort of spiritual. And it was like, it was a band that has had a lot of successes and this that, and another but it felt like it was a band that was built for that particular day
1: Armenians are a small nation we're very you know we the full population of Armenians around the world mostly in the diaspora due to the genocide are probably eight nine million you know all in mm-hmm. so when we have something to be proud of we're, we're very proud of it you know and and we're thankful that our people are proud of our band because we're all of Armenian heritage when it came to that show, I remember, yeah, it was the first time that System of a Down played in Armenia f- in 2015 for the 100th anniversary commemoration of the genocide. It felt like the band was created to play that show. Like everything we had done was yes, a yes. precursor to that show. It felt like the apex of our existence. It felt yes, like, yes. That's what, you know, climax of our, you know, you musician, it, it, yeah. everything. And on stage, it felt like we were rocking. So we were entertaining. Obviously, we were speaking truth to power against the corrupt Armenian government at the time and saying specific things. At the same time we were speaking to the world regarding genocide recognition because the show was also live streamed by rollingstone.com around the world. So there was like these incredible activist music And at the same time, I'm looking at these young people in front of me, and I see the future of that nation in their eyes, not Mm -hmm. knowing that three years from then there's going to be this incredible, peaceful, velvet revolution that occurred in 2018. So that moment was just like the collision of all these incredible worlds that you and I live on a daily basis culminated and climaxed into this incredible moment. It was just amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really speaks to the potential of rock and roll. I mean, people ask, you know, can rock and roll change the world? I mean, that's obviously, you know, it's changed our lives personally, but on a night like that, you see like the tangibility of that kind of connection that is much more than, you know, there's a mosh pit in people's minds as well as in, you know, in front of the stage. So talk to me for a second, like, like it's important to acknowledge that there is a, can be a radical component to music, irrespective of lyrics. You know what I mean? Like Hendrix's version of the Star Spangled Banner, where he channels the uncertainty and the cacophony and the napalm of the Vietnam War era uh, and the cultural revolution that was happening through his guitar playing a three and a half minute song. John Coltrane upending the world's ears by what, how an instrument could be played and the choices of notes. And, you know, I've attempted in my own work to outflank the traditional three chords in the truth or Van Halen soloing to look at the instrument in a way as you know one that's fun to do and two, it's a statement. Your singing, I would say, is an example of that, regardless of the words, which are often potent politically and, and whatnot, but you're tapping into the melodic history of Armenia and then bringing that, like transfiguring that into a rock and roll band That, in and of itself, is a political act, I
1: think. So, it's funny you say that, because I always give Rage Against the Machine as an example of intuitive kind of response to music. So, when I first heard Rage, when I first heard your band, I loved it not because I understood the lyrics. Because the first thing I got was this guttural, physical reaction to the music and and Zach's singing, which was part of the music. I I wasn't understanding the words. I processed the words later, which gave it even more strength and logical kind of resonance. But the first thing I felt was this strong feeling of like your body's moving and you're angry and you're like, what the fuck is this, right? Like, (laughs) it's just the music itself, you know? Yeah, yeah, So music can do that. And I always say that that's how we co-inspire. We, we're inspired as artists. We present this inspiration to others. We inspire them intuitively at first. Mm-hmm. And then they can process the logical side of that. And once their left brain is involved, then they can actually act. And that action itself can change the world because it changes their reality. Absolutely.
0: All right, couple more things to talk about. You and I have a long history of collaborating uh, on stage and in the studio. Remember the first time we collaborated, we were over at Rick Rubin's house. And I proposed, I said, hey, I make acoustic albums. <laughs> and I would love to you know to sing on a song. I played you some stuff, and I wrongly assumed that you might gravitate towards sort of the more rocky numbers and more kind of aggressive numbers. And you chose a song called Lazarus on Down, which was this kind of dark New Testament rumination. And I just thought that was really, it helped me to understand you better as an artist. And then later I played on your record. What was the first jam that we did on something 21
1: Gate 21. Yeah, Gate 21. Yeah, gate 21. Yeah, gate 20 on, on gate, yeah gate, you gate, rocked it.
0: Anyway, just so my experience with you in the studio has been much like on stage in our, in our friendship. Like Sometimes people come up to me like, you know, they think that I'm, because of the riffs and whatnot on the records, that I'm going to be like a very aggressive dude or whatever. And, you know, you listen to System of a Down records, and Surge is like the gentlest, most lovely. I mean, you don't want to get on his wrong side. Don't get me wrong. He's right, got it. Right, right. <laughs> but... You know, just like listening to you sing on Lazarus on Down and, you know, just a real pleasure to, you know, to rock that jam. I
1: love singing that with you. I love yeah. it.
0: Well, more recently, we've, you know, on tour when we've crossed paths, you've sung the audio slave song Like a Stone, either with me at my solo shows or with Prophets of Rage. And just sort of tell me what that experience was like. because I know that you knew Chris well.
1: I had seen Chris a couple of months before he passed and you know we were sitting next to each other at Elton John's birthday actually um, was the last time I saw him and we were talking about the future and you know he was excited about the different tours about the different projects he was going to do I was telling him dude you got to do an orchestral tour like a live orchestral show I'll help you any which way I can I'll I'll arrange for you you know I mean your voice is going to be incredible with an orchestra and I'm huge fan of his music Soundgarden growing up And that was the last I saw him. And so when you guys were doing the tour and and when you asked me, will you do this song? I was like, it was tough not to come to tears every night performing that song. And, And so but I'm glad we were able to pay respects, our musical respects to him. Yeah. So, yeah, that was amazing. Just very moving every night. He is sorely missed.
0: In wrapping up. So tell me about the film and its intent.
1: Yeah, so Truth to Power, you can you can uh, watch it at TruthToPowerFilm.com. There's like all these virtual theatrical websites that you can get a ticket and watch it just like as you as you're in a movie theater from your home. The film is basically highlighting the activist journey through music. Plenty of amazing System of a Down and and solo musical footage and fun times and and also some controversies and all of that stuff. I think the director did a phenomenal job. I was so proud of him. And we did another film together called I Am Not Alone that's coming out this year, which is a documentary about the 2018 Velvet Revolution in Armenia. Mm-hmm. It is a powerful, award-winning film. And uh, so I can't wait to show that to you as well. I have, you haven't seen that one. It's one of those things where it really uh, inspires you to make change.
0: I will, Serge, thank you very much. It's a, I hope when... You know, we're able to see each other in person. (laughs) Best to you and lots of love to the family. Serge is a living example of what I believe. We have one responsibility as musicians, and that's just to tell the truth as we see it. Thanks very much for being on Maximum Firepower. Congratulations
1: on this show. Much love to you, brother. Let foes of justice tremble.
0: This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app.
1: Search maximum firepower.